Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ronan, ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here at the start of OTAs, right? They began earlier this week. They'll run for the next, I believe, three weeks. Well, the media's only allowed out there once a week. So we just get a little snippet of the action. I believe they have like three, most weeks, three OTAs, basically practices. Uh, and then four one week. So I think it's 10 total. So, you know, three one week, four the next week, three the next week. And then they have a mandatory mini camp and then we're off for the summer until training camp. But this was our, this is the first opportunity to really see the team practice. It's the first time they get on the field, offense versus defense, line up against each other, run plays and go through all kinds of, uh, scrimmage type live situations. And now, now granted, none of it's done with full pads. And they're not banging. So the line of scrimmage, let me just get this out of the way real quick. Offensive, defensive linemen, it's really hard to judge them. You really don't get much out of it from them in regards to full evaluation. So anything you hear in that regard, if somebody's telling you this guy's standing out as an offensive or defensive lineman, disregard it. They're lying to you. They don't know anything. Sorry. Okay? There's there's no way you're going to see these guys in uh, non-padded, drills and come to a conclusion about anybody as a full player offensive defense lineman just don't see it so i will go through real quick on what i did see they practiced they were taping this on a thursday right before memorial day weekend and they practiced on monday so i know everybody wants to start out with the quarterbacks right and i'll give you my quick daniel jones impression and then uh, Eli Manning, and, and that's pretty much what everyone wants to hear, and then unload what I have in my notebook. So as re- in regards to Daniel Jones, obviously the sixth overall pick, I said this at rookie minicamp, I think the way he throws the ball, the velocity that he throws the ball, I, I honestly, I when compared to what I expected, it's actually been better than I expected. You heard, you know, his arm and his arm talent wasn't very good. I don't look at that and say that's a problem. And I think I mentioned this last time. Like, you look at Kylo Letta and you look at Daniel Jones and they're in different stratospheres. Daniel Jones throws with much better velocity, much more naturally and fluidly than does Kylo Letta. So you could see at the talent level, in regard, in my impression, you know, th- that doesn't look like, oh, it's not, that's a problem. I see him throw, whoa, that's a problem. I don't see that. I look at a guy who throws the ball pretty well. So he had a decent day, looked like a rookie a little bit, worked primarily with the third team. Now, Pat Shermer said he's going to work with the second and the third team. So we'll see how they kind of balance that. I asked, I said, hey, uh, what's your approach on getting him snaps? And he just kind of said he's going to fit in. It's Eli Manning as the starter and then the other guys behind them. So I think... That means the other guys are all going to get their opportunities. Now, Loletta, at this point, he's out with a knee injury. He had a knee cleanup in the offseason. So he's not practicing. He's not throwing right now. Definitely not going to help him out here. And the other guy is Alex Tanny, who worked when we saw with the second team and Jones was with the third team. Now, I think Jones is probably going to spend most of his summer and spring with the third team. We'll see how much they mix him in. But I do think the Giants are going to bring him along rather slowly. And Eli Manning is the clear-cut starter. I don't see how it's going to turn out any other way. They're paying him $17 million. They haven't been able to pull the trigger on him yet. They had no desire to do it this offseason. That 
you know, no holds barred conversation between Manning and Gettleman. Who knows what that really was? It doesn't really seem to have been much at all, to be quite honest with you, looking at what they've said after the fact. When Dave Gettleman came out and said, what did he say? Uh, he didn't say it's a farce. He, he called it a crock to think Eli Manning can't play. So do you really think they're all of a sudden, if they think Eli Manning can still play and still play at a high level, and it's a crock that he can't play, or all of a sudden it's going to throw Daniel Jones in there as a rookie? I don't see it. I, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see anybody even getting a realistic look or a realistic opportunity to be the starter, aside from Eli Manning. Now, Daniel Jones, he looked like a rookie at times in that first practice, held the ball a little long, was, was couldn't find open receivers, was trying to force the ball in a little bit. And I will say this about him. When he misses, I have noticed he misses high. He ho- seems to hold the football a little far back on the football. I'm going to find out. I'm going to talk to people, what, what you know, kind of maybe what that means, if that's part of it. But, uh, yeah, when he misses, it's high. Just an observation. I know from watching and covering Donovan McNabb earlier in his career, he used to miss low. He used to throw what they call it worm burners. So that was a benefit to him. Because when you miss low, it's just an incomplete pass. When you miss high, and Eli Manning also was a guy who I believe missed high, it turned it, it turns into interceptions. So we'll, we'll see about that moving forward. Eli, I thought, you know, he started off slowly. Threw a bunch of balls out of bounds in the, in the live, first live drills, maybe like three or four in a row to the end zone. Threw an interception. But what you can say about him is he looked lively, looked to be moving pretty well. He doesn't, he didn't look like a complete statue out there. I mean, again, this is in shorts and shoulder pads and he threw the ball with decent velocity. So he did throw the ball pretty well. He got off to a really slow start and didn't look good at the start. And got better kind of as as they went along here. And he even mentioned that when he talked after practice. He said, look, it's one thing to sit there and throw. And then once you get into live drills for the first time this year, it takes some time getting used to it, right? Guys are all of a sudden moving faster. Everything's moving faster. So even though he's in his 16th year in the league, it took him a little time to get acclimated. And uh, it was an okay day for him. I just I thought he threw the ball fairly well, though, in regards to velocity and just the way he looked throwing the ball. And... So that's that. Some other quick things. The offensive line I wrote about this earlier this week. Now I don't know. It's we're not talking about how they played out there, but just in general, on paper, best offensive line the Giants have had in years. Uh, they haven't been a top twenty offensive line graded wise by PFF since twenty twelve. So I think they should be that this year if they could stay healthy. Now Nate Solder, he had his ankle. His ankle, yeah, his ankle cleaned up. Mike Remmers still recovering from a back injury, but he was at least out there doing work and running on the sidelines, so he's not that far off. Uh, you have a new right guard in Kevin Zeitler, who they traded for. You have Will Hernandez, should be better in his second year at left guard. This offensive line has potential. And this should be a good offensive line. It should help the running game a little bit, and it should help Eli Manning. But no excuses for this offense. And I mentioned this last week on the podcast, right? They have... All this money invested on the offense and the offensive line. No excuses. This team, the offense has to carry this team. They're not heavily invested in the defense. Now, they have a lot of young defensive players, and that's where I'm going to go to next, is the cornerback position. Right? You saw Sam Beal, a third-round supplemental pick last year, working with the first-team defense ahead of uh, first-round pick this year, DeAndre Baker. I think that'll be a good little competition, those two guys. And we'll see. But we don't know 
there's a mu- big muddle of guys there at cornerback. We don't know who's any good. None of these guys have played in the NFL for the most part. Sam Beal, DeAndre Baker, uh, Julian Love, who I think is good. You see, he's a, he's not a real, he's not an outside cornerback. They're going to use him at nickel slash safety. And the nickel spot, I think people should keep this in mind, like kind of overlooking him, is Grant Haley. He played well in the slot last year. He is the favorite to start in that nickel cornerback spot, which is essentially a starting spot. And I also thought it was a good sign that, uh, Corey Ballantyne, who was shot in the butt several weeks back, he was out there at practice. Wasn't practicing, but he's out there in sweatpants standing on the side watching. The fact that he could do that just shows that physically he's doing okay. He's not in bad shape physically where he can't even stand and watch practice. And Coach Pat Shermer, he said he thought he'd be back before training camp. He thought there was a good, there was a decent chance of that happening. I'm paraphrasing. So that's a good thing. Uh, as far as the pass rushers, you saw Cream Martin out there with Lorenzo Carter with the first team. They're expecting a lot from Lorenzo Carter this year. I'm telling you, this team is going to rely heavily on Lorenzo Carter. But when they get into pass rush situations, it's going to be Lorenzo Carter and Marcus Golden. And another guy I thought after watching practice, and he was working with the second, third team defense, but the Giants still don't have that cover linebacker. Tay Davis was running with the first team. See some up and down from him still left in the dust on one play. Alec Ogletree I saw left in the dust by Paul Perkins on a on a, a goal line type drill. So the Giants, that is a weak point. And Ryan Connolly, while not your natural speedy sideline to sideline guy, what the Giants like about him is his instincts. I think he could ultimately, we'll see how it pans out, how he plays, but I think he could ultimately end up being their cover linebacker moving forward. I really do. Now, one other subject we got to touch upon here, because it's come out in the last couple days. Uh, former Giant, Landon Collins, who the Giants obviously let walk. That was a decision they made. He then went, they, they had the franchise tag, they didn't re- try and resign him. And then he went and signed a monster deal with the rival Washington Redskins. And we, ESPN had, did an interview. Sam Alipore did an interview with him. And he asked him a little bit about, you know, why he thought he was gone. And he got, he, it, it's not, and I know people are saying Landon Collins needs to shut up and be quiet, just go worry about his new team. But he was asked specifically about it. And when he was asked, and this is what Landon Collins has always been about, and maybe what the Giants didn't like, is he gives his honest, opinion on these things and what was very interesting was he talked about Damon Harrison Odell Olivier Vernon and all they wanted to do was win he said and this is quote and we spoke up because we had to get them to listen to us we had to get them to get us winning pieces to help us at least be contenders I think we were too vocal and that platform was bigger than the Giants you know and our words stood out more. And and then later on he gets into, if it's not good media, they don't want that kind of media. Now, while do I think this is exclusively why Landing why Landing Collins is gone? No. Do I even think it's at the near the top of the list? Probably not. But I think what we would be foolish to think after seeing what happened this offseason that it wasn't a factor 
Maybe not the factor, but it was a factor. Especially when you're talking about Collins. You're talking about Odell. And even Olivier Vernon, because I said this before. I wrote about this. Everyone who kind of had a little run-in with the Giants or opened their mouth or kind of stepped out of line in any way, shape, or form for the most part, Kylo Letta excluded, moved away, traded, cut, or just allowed to walk free. It's something I think, and then there was, he also, Collins had some words about Dave Gettleman. He, you know, he never talked to him basically. Yeah, he would say sort of things like, good job, big fellow, but never had any meaningful conversations. And he thought that it was Gettleman's decision to move forward there and was not, was very critical of Dave Gettleman. Let's just say that. And the problem there is that these are some of the same problems that we heard about Dave Gettleman in Carolina. Usually, you go and you get fired, you hopefully have some introspection, you go about, you do some self-scouting, and you try and fix those things. But it seems to be some of the same problems that occurred in Carolina have now carried over to the Giants. So it's just something you want to keep your eye on here with Dave Gettleman and the Giants in particular because this is something we don't know it's hard to put your finger on say, this is why they're not winning, right? Because they don't want these outspoken players. They don't want these guys with huge platforms. Now, this is something, if you talk to most players off the record, current and past, this is like a pretty well, this is a, a, a kind of a known thing that the Giants don't love players with, with outside platforms or that, that kind of grow bigger than the team. And they're not going to, get rid of you exclusively because of that. But once you, your usefulness as a player starts to wane, then that other other part of the equation starts fitting in a little bit more, right? Like Odell, okay, everything is fine. We could deal with it when he's producing 14, 1,500 yards, 10, 12 touchdowns, 4, 13 touchdowns a year. But then once it starts, you know, he starts getting injured, they view it as start affecting the team. It becomes more of a part of the equation. And is this a little bit of an old school approach? Because can you really have that approach with all guys nowadays? This is a different generation of player. And is it not the coach and the general manager's job to handle it and make it work? I think that's what makes the great coaches and the great general manager and the great executives. Is they're able to take those guys and make them conform into the system and make it work for them. And we see the Giants haven't been able to do that, or weren't able to do that with a guy like Odell, or even Landon Collins, or even Snacks, Damon Harrison to a degree. So while I don't think it's something that's going to completely prevent them from getting free agents, or create this perception around the league that they don't, allow their players to do anything, I do think it's something we need to monitor moving forward just to see if it becomes a bigger thing. Because sometimes, even if it's not reality, perception is greater than reality. You hear me say that many times. And that could be the case here. So, we'll bring in a guest in the next segment and we'll ask him about it. Because he might have a little better perspective on it from the inside. As a player. And with that, on to the next one.
We're going to bring in Jeff Schwartz now, media extraordinaire. I see him. I see him all over the place now. He's he's going to California. He's doing all the national shows. He's blowing up on us. But we're trying to figure out here if the Landon Collins comments that we just talked about, if this is scorned ex-lover, or this is a problem going forward and something that needs to be addressed or considered by the Giants. So we're going to bring in Jeff here to talk about it a little bit. Jeff, what's going on, man? How you doing, buddy? Yeah, I was um, I was in L.A. for a family trip, by the way. I just happened to do some of the media stuff. Just so happened to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, I, was, in, <laughs> I was in Carlsbad for for uh, a week or so with the family. But, yeah, no, whenever I go to L.A., though, I try to get a little little media time. It's good to have your face shown around every now and then. Hey, definitely. I mean, get yourself out there. You, you know, you're, you're doing well in this media business. So, you know, that that's that's part of the gig here. So trying. I'm trying. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go back. I mean, Jeff was with the Giants 2014, 2015. We, we know that story right now, right? Now, Landon Collins comes. He's, he's, he's gone now. He says that this comment about Gettleman was he never even talked to me, basically. He says he's gone as part of a culture change. And essentially, you know, this isn't verbatim. This is a summation that the Giants don't like players with platforms. Okay, so I'm curious what your perception of this is, because I think you kind of fell into that category. I mean, you, you kind of, at least I heard that a little bit about you as you were with the Giants and it was something that existed behind closed doors a little bit. So what's your, what's your impression? Is it a problem? Is it something they have to address? Does it exist at all? Um, it's a very interesting question because I think it depends on how good of a player you are and what production you have. So if a guy like Landon Collins, it's surprising they would feel that way, right? I mean, he's still doing his job. Uh, you know, with me, I was hurt, and I, you know, I used New York to my advantage while I was hurt. And, you know, the funny thing about all this type of stuff is that it really doesn't distract a player from ever doing their job, right? right. I mean, you don't see anyone really who is a player who is doing media while they're playing or doing this and that. Never really have we seen it hurt preparation for the season or for the team, but the NFL, by you know, mostly is made up of conservative owners, conservative general managers, conservative coaches. They want you to just do your job and not really draw attention to yourself. And the Giants are definitely at the top of that conservative list, correct? I mean, is, is that a fair assessment? Who is? The Giants. I mean, the, the, yes, the Maras, the Giants, I, I, their ownership, you would think way, that they're at the top. And, and, and I want to make, and I want to make a comment here. Conservative, not, not politically. Right, right? we're not I talking politics I don't know here. the political affiliation of all the owners. I'm saying just conservative as far as how kind of they want their players to do things. They want you to be quiet. They want you to do your job. Yes, you can still have fun. You can enjoy yourself. They want all that. But they don't want you going to the media. They don't want you causing waves. They don't want you having kind of a life outside of football, which is kind of tough because we all have lives outside of football. But as far as the Giants, they weren't openly against it like other teams have been. Well, I've been other places, and, and people have made comments within organizations directly to me. I mean, the Giants never told me to my face that they didn't like me doing media, that I was doing too much. It would have been nice. Obviously, they, they told you. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was told by certain organizations, like, we don't want you doing this. You're doing too much. And I was like, okay, I'll stop, you know, whatever it was. 
Um, but it definitely is a strike against a player if they're trying to find a reason to get rid of you. I mean, I know for a fact some teams when I was in 2016 when the Lions cut me, and I was pretty much done playing anyways. I, I, my body couldn't take it anymore. You know, some teams told my agent, hey, you know, we, we don't you – know, Jeff, there's too much media for us. Uh, whatever. I mean, that's <laughs> not really the reason why they didn't sign me. It's just another excuse to, to not find someone, right? So for Landon Collins and Odell and some of the outspoken players – it's another reason to get rid of someone, and it gives them justification in their mind to, to do so. I never saw Landon as outspoken enough to where he's in the media all the time. I mean, Odell obviously is a little different story, but most teams don't want you to be to be a, yourself. They want you to be part of the team and adhere to to what the team policies are and those type of things. The last thing he said in the interview, and I read that, was about Gettleman not talking to him. This is a problem he had in Carolina. This is why he got fired in Carolina. It's just not personable. And not, you know, not all general managers talk to their players. I, mean, I, I couldn't tell you, I don't know, I talked to Jerry Reese outside of getting when I got hurt zero times. I don't know. I mean, I don't want to talk to Jerry Reese. Never. Um, Jerry Reese so was John not Dorsey, a very personable you know, individual either. I mean, that, that was never part of right. his thing. I mean, but that, and like you said, I doubt he had in-depth conversations with most guys on the roster. Right. And, you know, and um, John Dorsey, when I was in Kansas City with him, he every day, every day he saw me, he said, Mr. Schwartz be with you. Every day. That's all I heard from him. <laughs> you never had a real conversation with him? Um, I'm sure I did, but I, I don't remember. I don't remember it. Look, general managers... Um, I think by nature are not just the most personable guys. They sit in a room all day and watch film and they're breaking down scouting reports and they're they have a high stress job trying to figure out roster. They have a lot of hours and it, it's easier to do that job when you're not friendly with the players, you're deciding their fate. I mean, if you're friendly with a player, it might skew your opinion about whether or not that player should stay. I mean, then we're having some of those issues with, with Eli and the, and the ownership there in New York. So, uh, friendliness is not part of their job, I think. So I wasn't really terribly offended by what, what Landon said about gentlemen. I wasn't surprised either. Does the perception matter, though, for the Giants moving forward that now this is the second team and that players just don't – I mean, the, the play, there's let's say – let's not say all players because that's really just drop – you know, put an umbrella over them. It's essentially a bunch of scorn players, but some big names and a bunch of them doing it publicly. As far as to attract free agents next year – do you, would would no, it matter? Like, would it matter to you? No, no. I think the money, the money is what always matters. <laughs> and playing playing in the New York market is such a big plus um, that it, it it yes it it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't think it matters. So here's the, here's the bigger question for the Giants, right? And Gettleman has been honest about this. He they're big into the culture change, and Landon Collins thinks that played a part in him leaving. We we could all. I think safely assume, and I know for a fact, it it obviously had a part in Odell Beckham Jr. leaving, right? So the Giants essentially, they want, quote unquote, I mean, this is, you know, in football terms, essentially, and I wrote about this, everyone who kind of had run-ins with Shermer or had problems, basically, for the most part, most of those guys have been gone. They're, they've been pushed out and moved. It, how realist, realistic do you think it is to win with the quote-unquote choir boys and to fill your roster with guys that fit what Gettleman is essentially and the Giants are trying to build here with what they consider culture? Well, it works in New England, um, obviously, right? I mean, guys buy into what Bill Belichick is selling and, and what 
he wants their players to be. But again, he's allowed to do that because he wins. And but even then, look, you have a Rob Gronkowski. Rob never really fit what what the mold of what uh, Bill Belichick wanted. Tom Brady had his own reality show last year on Facebook. Now yeah. Tom Brady's put in the work on Julian Edelman's out there too before then. Yeah. So, but remember, those guys have reached a point where their play dictates kind of their ability to be out there. Right. right. Not, we're not seeing young players doing want to do that. So it comes down to a matter of winning. And I, and I will say that um, the reason Belichick takes a certain player is a little bit because of their, their attitude or whatnot, but also their, their scheme fit. I mean, that to me is almost more important to Belichick. How do these guys fit my scheme rather than, you know, are they going to be choir boys? So I think it kind of, if you were to weigh those two, it would be scheme fit over choir boy type of thing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, being a good person is a big thing of Belichick, too. But look, they've had, obviously, they had some issues with some players. They made it um, work with guys. They took guys like Corey Dillon and Randy Moss. I mean, these were guys right. that fit into that category. I mean, there's plenty of guys right. like that. They it, just try and conform so, them to their system. Right. Right. But um, so is that going to, to totally work? Probably not. If Gettleman's just looking for the same type of player. I mean, he got, he got close in Carolina. Um it didn't work. And one thing I found interesting about Gellman's kind of comments sometimes about being defensive of, of his style is when he mentioned all the Super Bowls he's been to. But, I mean, you weren't, you weren't running the show in any of those. Yeah. Like, it's a different when you're – well, excuse me, one, he was running the one. show in one of the Super Bowls, one. I should say, with the Panthers. But, you know, it, it's, you, you act differently when you run the show than when you're kind of an understudy. So, um, you know, you don't have all the equity built in probably, but he's done it. He's done it. Look, he, he – for his, however you want to talk about his personality, he was a good general manager in Carolina. Now the problem is he, you know, he often disagree with veteran players, and that's not always good because some of those players were still good football players. But he built a good roster there and got to the Super Bowl. So his his method can work, um, but I don't think you'd be that rigid when building a team. So I think he's kind of in the middle. I think it's kind of a, a really a wait and see. It can work, but do I think it's going to work? You have to have the quarterback too, and and. I don't know if they have a quarterback right now. Here, well, that was the thing he inherited that quarterback. I think that's why you people still have some questions about him. About okay, he did it in Carolina, right? But he inherited Cam Newton. He inherited Luke Keekley. Like he inherited Thomas Davis. Like some of these really Greg Olson. Like pretty much the biggest, most yeah. influential players on the team. He kind of inherited. Yeah. Now he Correct. built a good team around them. Let's not. You got to give him credit where credit is. He didn't draft. Those, he didn't draft he didn't, yes, he did not draft a lot of that core team. Ryan Cleo, he didn't draft. Jordan Gross, he didn't draft. Um, no, that's that's fair about Gettleman. And we'll see, obviously, how his drafts pan out. And he's now tied to Daniel Jones. That's that's yeah. how, who he's tied to. If, if, no matter, you know, his, his overseas will be directly tied to how Daniel Jones uh, plays or doesn't play. We talked a bunch about the Patriots, too, and here's my concern, right? And I think Bill Belichick started, you know, building his program that, that it is right now with the Patriots. We're talking about 20 years ago, right? You were in the league. A lot has changed in the last 10 years. Forget 20 years. Yeah. So I think it's harder, the, 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 the player in specific, it's harder to get guys to buy into you if you don't. Like, he has all those championships now. He has all those Super Bowl rings. Yeah. He has that whole coaching career. He might be able to do it. I'm not sure if other teams are go have the same clout or have the same ability to really go that route. I mean, that's that's my concern here with the Giants is, you know, like Odell wasn't re really willing to buy into their 100% into what they were selling, right? 
Because he's sort of that new age player. Right. And there, there is, there is something to be said about trying to find ways to get guys to buy in, obviously. Um, and I think that what's made Belichick so great as a coach is his willingness to adapt, not just with his personnel, but also with his schemes and right. change the way that he had, runs his team based off of the players he's getting from college now. Even probably and the way he deals he with players, now. right? I mean, everything. He, he's had to change. There's no way. There's no way he hasn't. And so uh, we don't know, I guess, I guess we don't know the wrong way to say it. I mean, we know that Gettleman is probably not adapting very well to that just because of people talk about him when, when people leave. But, you know, people might be scorned a little bit when they leave. And, and I don't, not often do people have great things to say about the general manager who fired them. But I do right. think it is a little bit to what you're saying about his personality. He probably does have to try to change a little bit to fit in with the players that um, – they have now. I, mean, I wasn't terribly upset about the Odell trade. I mean, I, 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 I just it doesn't feel like they have a plan. But I, I didn't really mind the trade. Um, I wouldn't pay a high pay. I wouldn't pay a lot of money to a wide receiver when you're trying to rebuild. The biggest thing to me was that they signed him one, and then one year later traded him. That just showed that they were, you know, that they were no, that their decision making was flawed, Tate. right? So to right. me, that's the biggest Golden thing. Tate, you know, yeah, you give Golden Tate a ton of money. Yeah, I know that. That's the, that's what it is. There's, there was seems to be no long term plan other than just kind of figuring out year to year, which is which is a problem. One last thing on the Giants side of, of regards to you know the way the organization operates. Did you? And this is something you wonder: is it does it still exist? Gettleman's there. They're sort of they always want to try, seem to go backwards and go back to this is how we won in the past. This is how we did in the past. Did you feel that it was like an old school organization? Did you feel that, that that was sort of like the way they wanted to operate around there? Obviously, it's changed some over the years. Um, I, I would say, I mean, Tom Coughlin was was uh, pretty open to changing practice schedules, um, to changing the way he did things based off of science. I don't, I don't think he fully embraced um, the science part of it, but you were there. I mean, we changed yeah. practice, man. Did you, I mean, were practice you there was, when he was based when he went in? And he called. Yeah. The, he had like the halftime in the middle of the practice. Yeah, like he, yeah. I was there. As, I was there his last two years. So we did all that. So he changed. We went to the the Friday schedule where you kind of do nothing on Fridays and you have to walk through Saturday instead. Um, we did all that. So you, you can't. I don't know. You can say Tom Coughlin was rigid about that stuff. I mean, he's in his old school. He'd rather go in full pads every day, twice a day, if that was his choice, right? And but if he adapted to, he's less rigid than you know. Andy Reid really runs the same sort of practices he's a little bit i heard a little bit not as intense but he hasn't really done as much changing as tom coffin did for practice because I, I would tell you what, i don't think not only coach coffin liked it but he did no, it he did it begrudgingly 100 percent begrudgingly yeah. <laughs> yes but it was yeah but, but look he saw the data he was open to it yeah he was open to it so i, I don't think that that in the past the giants have definitely been open to to changing the question is is, is at the very top how much change i mean you know, the Giants are an organization where the ownership is there every day. I mean, I've played on teams where the owners don't live in the same city. I mean, right. the ownership, at least John Mars, he's there every day. That's right? so their business. As much as, right, that's their business. So as much as it's run by Gettleman and, and, and Shermer, the owner has a say in that. And so how much is the owner adapting? No, the business is run to, by John Mara. Two times. 
Correct, but but you know, but there's also but there are there are owners who don't meddle in day to day. I think that he yeah. is he's there every day. He does kind of have a say in the way things are done. Obviously, he's there every day. I mean, you run an organization, he's there every day. You can have a say in the way it's done. Of it's course. just I mean, quiet, more quietly than other places are at. So um, I think that they've I think I think back to I think they've done a good job adapting to. So this with Tom Coughlin. I obviously didn't play with with Gettleman and with Shermer, right. so I can't really say. I think Ben McAdoo adapted almost too much at times. Well, what they're doing now is, and this is another example. Maybe they are going back to the old school approach. Is and that, while I won't say you know they're a run first team, I think they're going to be a run heavy team in in comparison to most of the rest of the league. That seems to be the way they're heading. Right? They built their team around Saquon Barkley, and and they've bulked up their offensive line. They brought in recently Kevin Zeitler in a trade for Olivier Vernon, Mike Remmers recently. They have John Jalapio and uh, Spencer Pulley at center, and then Will Hernandez and Nate Solder on the left side. So I'm curious, as an offensive lineman, you still watch offensive linemen around the league. You talk to a bunch of guys. You're friends with your your buddy Duke is, is really plugged in. Duke Manyweather, yeah. maybe the, the best uh, offensive line coach out there. What do you think of this offensive line the Giants have put together? I think it's a really good offensive line. Um, I'm fine with building a good offensive line. The problem is, I think, to your point, is that running the football nowadays it really has shown to not be helpful to winning. Um, right. You know, expected points, um, expected points passing is the way to go now. I mean, you, you got to pass the football at a high level and, and high efficiency to win a lot of football games. So I'm fine with building now running. Line, to be fair. To be fair, running does help you pass the ball. I think that's that's the correlation that they have found. Yeah, I mean, your it, success it, it, running the ball, does, you don't have to run it a lot, but you have to have success to get that successful well, passing attack. The, the data shows, look, I, I, am, I am not very good at analytics. Like, I, I understand them, and I, I use a lot of them <laughs> when I write and whatnot. But, you know, there's, and I've read the report many times over, and I still can't really figure it out. But basically, the the summary is that Play action pass, the success of play action pass has really nothing to do with your success rushing the football, which is wild to me because as a player, I always felt that, yeah, when we, when we ran the ball better, we were better at play action pass. But obviously, at least according to the data, it's not really the case. But I think running the football does a couple of things in general. One, it, I mean, I think it does establish a, um, what's the best way to put it? It establishes an attitude on your team. Right when you rush the football, yes. you establish a physical attitude and mindset on your team. And also keep your defense off the field, which is which is very beneficial, in my opinion, in certain, certain instances. Um, and yeah, it, it can set up play action pass and some other some other fun things to do, which I think that the data might not show that, but as a player, I always felt that. So running the football is still important. You still got to get a yard or two every now and then, but to make that your base offense and say we want to be able to run the football. Uh, I don't. I don't know if that attitude is successful anymore. Right. Well, you guys did run the football. I mean, I know you actually had a decent. I was looking at it recently. You had a decent offensive line. You just had trouble staying healthy when you were here, right? It was between 20, you, 2015 was. We were pretty good on offensive line. 2015. Justin Pugh, Weston Richburg, you, John Jerry, and Marshall, and, and Marshall Newhouse. Yeah. Well, well, it was really it was Eric Flowers, right. and then it was Pew, Weston, and me and Marshall. That unit was we were we were one of the top units. Uh, right, but that was the year that BD tore his peck in the uh, spring, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, because Eric was, was was a rookie that year. We were we were pretty good on offense that year. Um, 
until it everyone to be a good, good offensive line until people started struggling. So yeah, this but this I mean I looked at it. I think this probably if they could stay healthy might be the best collection of offensive linemen they've had since about 2012. In a long, so, long time, yeah. Yeah, maybe 2010. The 2007, obviously, was was a, an excellent offensive line that they had back in the day. So, Jeff, always appreciate your perspective and your insight. And uh, we're going to have to do it again soon. On to the next one. Ah, uh, yes. It's time for my favorite segment of this podcast. It's the time where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in... Giants after dark. And today we're going to start with Mr. Randy Watson on Twitter. Says, how do the young cornerbacks look? I will say this. There's some up and downs, but you can see talent. right? And and you can see that DeAndre Baker is competitive. He's a player. He's going to battle. Now, how good a player is he going to be? We'll see. He hasn't played a snap yet, but he is a first-round pick. Sam Beal also looks like he has some talent. He could run. He could make some plays. So you you like what you see there. I mean, Julian Love, guy who's sort of getting accustomed to being uh, in the NFL and playing against the slot, against bigger, faster guys. So I'd say their early returns are, are fairly positive, and we don't really know about Corey Ballantyne yet, right? He hasn't been on the field. But I will say this, and, and we're talking to him. You want to go a little deeper, we'll go include the safeties. Uh Jabril Peppers is a guy, excellent athlete. No one questions that. You could see that. He had a pretty decent year last year in Cleveland. Looks like he could be a player to what degree. We don't really know. And that's where I caution people because I had some, you know, one of my friends text me, this secondary is so athletic and the secondary could be all great. And then I heard a bunch of people say, you know, we have two, we have so many good young cornerbacks. Hold it for a second. We got to see these guys play. In NFL games, at least in, in live, uh, training camp or, or, or preseason before we're going to anoint anybody. So right now they have potential. You, you got a lot of crapshoot guys that you hope work out. You really don't know. The only guy in that secondary I know is going to be a good player is Janaris Jenkins. I think Antoine Bethea will be a good player, a decent player, but he's getting older. Right, he's 34, 35 years old, whatever he is. When does that, he fall off the cliff there? Can't play forever. Jabril Peppers looks like a decent player. Had a bad first year, a pretty decent second year. Can he continue that growth? Is he going to ever be anything more than a, than a decent or good player? We have to see it. We have to see it at, to some degree, at some level, before we can call this secondary a really good secondary. So, with that... Let's go to the next question. We will go to question number two. Jamie James Myers, sorry, at Myers7899. He says, from what you have seen and know about the defense right now, do you think the unit could be good, you know, better than last year, or are they still missing too many pieces? Well, I think they could be better than last year because last year they were a bad defense, especially in the second half of the season. Now, maybe just knowing knowing the scheme better, I think they could be a, a decent defense. I I think James Betcher is a, a good defensive coordinator. He's had a history of past success in Arizona. Now, does he have the pieces for this to be a really good unit? I don't think so. You still look out on the field, 
and I say, well, where's the real difference makers? Where's the, where's the guy that the other team is going to circle and who's going to be an ultimate playmaker? I mean, Jarrell Pepperhurst has 120 career tackles with two interceptions. Do we know that he's a real playmaker? Lorenzo Carter? What do you have? Four and a half, five and a half sacks as a rookie? Okay, promising. Marcus Golden, 12 and a half sacks. That was a couple, two, three years ago before he hurt his knee. So they don't have real difference makers. They don't, you want to have one guy at each level that's a stud. And I don't know if the Giants have anybody at any level that's a stud. So what's, what's the max they could be? An above average unit? I think more than likely they're in the decent unit range. So that, that's kind of what I see about the Giants defense right now. All right. Uh, at J Ron says, I heard you got the new Accord Sport. Was thinking about getting one myself. How do you like it so far? This is not an ad, by the way. I like it. Good car. But, and so far, I mean, it's a big upgrade. I had a Hyundai Accent before, which was strictly, I bought like seven years ago as a strict commuter car. So the fact that it even has Bluetooth is an upgrade for me. So I'm going to like anything right now. So I know, but I like these, the Accord. Drives nicely. But let me tell you, again, not an ad. I got it through my neighbor who's a car concierge. And this is living. This is how you got to do it. Because I, there's nothing worse for me than going to the car dealership. That whole experience is like pulling teeth, excruciating. So my neighbor is a car concierge, and this is the second time I've done that. You basically just tell him the car you want. He goes, gets you the best price he could find, cuts out all the middle, you know, all all the financial stuff of you having to go into the car dealership and negotiate, negotiate, which is the worst. And then he picks up your old car, brings the new car, drops it on your driveway. It's beautiful. For somebody like me, the concept is amazing. So my boy, John, Seamless Auto, love it. The idea that you just get them to come and drop off your car and pick off, pick up your old one is amazing. To me, that was the best part about the process. So, uh, let's go to at Eric Campman at King Coffee Man. He says, seems to be an idea floating. Gettleman isn't doing a good job, but objective, objectively looking at all his decisions, Saquon Barkley, good nucleus of young players. Future quarterback on roster, nine million cap space for next year, and rebuild O line with a little depth. Do you agree or not? I'm eh, somewhere in between, because I look at it and they downgraded in talent to some degree. Right, you got rid of real difference making players, in my opinion, like Odell and Landon Collins, or even to a degree Olivier Vernon. Right, they don't have anyone as good as Olivier Vernon on the roster. So, to me, they downgraded in talent a little bit and believe they can make it up by, let's say, uh, with culture. Now, I'm not so sure about that. Talent win- still wins in this league. You need really good talent. And Saquon Barkley, again, a running back. It's a position you could fill. Now, great player, amazing player, maybe the best in the league at his position, uh, but it's all going to come down to that future quarterback. So I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle because they tried to win now. They're still straddling that line. That bothers me a little bit. Like I would have rather them have gone all the way 
Like you don't need Golden Tate if you're going in that direction. Right? You don't need to have Eli. What's the use of having Eli Manning back right now for the second straight year? So that all bothers me. Now, I do like that they have the cap space. Uh, the solid young core of players you're talking about, to me, still lacks some oomph. They need some real difference makers, specifically on defense. We talked about that before. So at J.M. Schubert says, what are the top two to three position battles to watch the rest of the offseason? To me, the cornerback position that we mentioned before, Sam Beal and uh, DeAndre Baker, that's going to be a good one. See who starts there. And wide receiver, third wide receiver spot, right? We have Sterling Shepard. You have Golden Tate. Who is going to be that next guy? There's a long list of guys. A long list. Nobody that really stands out. Maybe even Benny Fowler was probably the most productive. Cody Latimer. Uh, Russell Shepard. Darius Slayton was, I believe, a fifth-round draft pick this year. Corey Coleman, a former first-round pick, who has never produced really at any level significantly. So just a bunch of guys. Can any of them step up? I think the door is open for any of those guys right now. Any of them. So those are really the two positions that stand out to me. And our last question, Adin.link, I don't know what the heck that is, asks on Instagram, first he says, does Daniel Jones look sharp? And I think I already addressed that. But second is, also, any chance at all the Giants give Jermaine Curse all shot? Now, I kind of mentioned this last week in regards to – uh free agents. I don't see the Giants going after anybody who's going to make a significant amount of money. And Jermaine Curse kind of falls into that category. I don't think like he went worked out for the Lions and they didn't come to an agreement because of money. So that means that he wants more than just the minimum. He wants a decent amount, right? He wants a decent salary. I don't see the Giants going out and getting that right now, unless the price really comes down and ends up being significantly cheap in the first place. Because, look, they're, they have so much, they're taking so much dead money to the dome that they can't just go spend their money anywhere. They only have so much money left. They don't want to renegotiate deals to add your main curse to the roster this year and move money forward. That doesn't make sense for them. So I don't think the Giants are going to really be in on any any guys that are going to be making more, much more than the minimum. Now maybe they'll add defensive line depth, offensive line depth, but we're talking low-end guys. So don't expect any real notables out there. Remmers was kind of their last big splash, if you want to consider him big. And with that, that's the end of this week's Giants After Dark. Remember, feel free to send me your questions anytime. Twitter. Uh, Instagram, just make sure you tag them Giants After Dark so I know that they're for this segment. And I'll try and get to them. On to the next one. And that's pretty much it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. I'll give you a little Jordan on the beat in particular right before we go here. Um, in regards to OTAs, right? Some of them, most of them are closed. So three of the ten, I believe, are open. And the rest of them, you, you know, you won't see much from me in regards to how players did and how players are doing aside from those times when I'm there. And the reason I'm going to say this is 
the Giants will put out some information. You know, it'll be on their website and on their social handles and and whatever. And they give you little bits and pieces of practice, sort of highlights. But I am not going to draw any conclusions off this because I see firsthand. Look, go watch Jabril Peppers' interception from that first OTA. They do, they they intentionally show the ball in air after the quarterback released it. So you don't even see the quarterback who threw the interception. Now it's done intentionally so you don't see Eli Manning throw an interception and people then don't, and I understand, people then don't go on and, and you know, oh, Eli sucks and he's terrible. Look, look at this. So, but you also have to understand, you can't just sit there and say, oh, this guy's doing really well based off the clips that they're going to show you for that reason because you know that exists. So when you see a guy, you see Sam Beal make a pick and make an, you know, or, or make a great play, you might not, they're not going to sit there and show you maybe the five, let's say the three to five times in that practice that he got toasted. Because like, like you saw in the first OTA, and this is why I'm not going to go crazy about Sam Beal. I saw in the first OTA there was one play. He did it, made a great play, tip, twisting, tip back, and the ball's intercepted by Jabril Peppers. But then there was another play, and you're not going to see this on their highlights, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to factor it into my equation, is I saw him get toasted, just absolutely left in the dust by a great move by Sterling Shepard. Okay? So I like to put all this together, and that's how I put together my for my opinions. I'm not going to form my opinions, and you probably shouldn't either, off OTAs just based off a few highlights. Just a heads up as you move forward, and that's why you're not going to see me comment about the OTAs that I'm not there. Because I pretty much trust my own eyes and people around the league that I trust as talent evaluators. And that's how I'm going to handle OTAs, and maybe you probably should too. And with that, that's the end of this episode. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan, Giants reporter for ESPN, ESPN.com. Remember... You can catch this on Apple Podcasts, on the ESPN app, on all podcatchers, Google Play, and give us reviews, positive reviews. Tell your friends. Grow this podcast. Help us out. And we appreciate every last one of you for listening to this. I'm Jordan Ronan. This is Breaking Big Blue. See you next time. 